Will you join me this morning in hearing the word of God for us today? From Isaiah 9, verses 2 through 7, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light, and on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you, and people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as is the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdened them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. Will you join me in prayer? Most holy and gracious God, Father, Lord, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for this time of worship and for this time of deep discipleship. Lord, as we enter into this time, turn out the distractions of our day and our lives so that we may focus entirely upon your word speaking to us. Enable us to hear your spirit and your voice in our moments with you right now. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I am almost confident that that's not a scripture reading you would expect to read today. Almost all of us, when you saw that in the bulletin or you started to hear Maria read that for us, you probably thought, wait a sec, I thought today was Christ the King Sunday not, and not Christmas Eve. Our mindset for this passage is to only hear it one day a year, and that is as the Old Testament reading for Christmas Eve. We hear it on in that night when we gather for worship and after the opening hymn, we gather, we pause for a moment, we hear that word of a child has been born to us, a child has been promised to us. That's the context that we read into it. And I think because of that context, we only see one aspect of that story. We only see one aspect of what Isaiah is talking about. A child promised. But when we only read it in the context of Christmas Eve, we miss 
the fullness of this passage. We miss the fullness of what is taking place, of what was being promised, of what was being looked ahead to, and even what Isaiah was hoping for. And as we celebrate on this day, as we worship on this day of Christ the King Sunday, I think it is perhaps appropriate for us to reflect on this passage that we would not expect to read on this day. For this day of Christ the King Sunday is all about reflecting upon the magnificent nature that Christ is Lord, that Christ is our King and our guide. And so as we gather on this day to reflect, it is perhaps appropriate for us to think about what the people expected of that king. And maybe what we expect of that king. And maybe even how Christ lives into that idea of a king. The people in Isaiah's time were living in a time of deep darkness. Darkness in scripture is often a reference for separation of God or living apart from God. And the people in that time were doing just that. Isaiah is writing to a divided community. A community that has split apart into two. No longer are they unified. No longer are they together. No longer... Are they paying attention to the voice of God speaking? They've divided. They've now become Israel and Judah. They've become Israel in the north, defined by Samaria, and Judah in the south, defined by Jerusalem. With different worship practices, different ways of reflecting upon each other and just not liking each other. But even too, the both sides of that argument and both sides of the kingdom have allowed for the false worship of different gods. The false worship of various false idols. And we're seeking to live for themselves. They were living in spiritual darkness, but they were also living in political darkness. Israel in the north was being overrun by the Assyrians. They were being surrounded, and soon they would be overrun and taken over by the Assyrians. And in time, the Babylonians would take over Judah. Both of these kingdoms saw this region as being fertile ground for them to conquer because it gave them a pathway to the Mediterranean Sea. And so this people were living in threats. They were living in a sense of darkness. They could see no hope. And yet Isaiah writes to them in the midst of this struggle, in the midst of their dividedness, in the midst of their living apart from God and all the political pressures to say a light is shining in the midst of darkness. 
God is coming even when you cannot see. God is present even when you may not be aware. And is coming in the midst of darkness to bring hope and to bring joy. To break free the yoke of their oppression, to break free the yoke of their burdens, to break free the pains and the struggles that they felt and to take it on themselves. Light of new hope, light of grace was coming. And Isaiah isn't writing so much as if it was coming in the future. He is coming now and it's happening now even when you cannot see it. God is here in the midst of darkness. And to carry that even further, Isaiah says that a child is coming. Now, this is not the first time that Isaiah has promised the birth of a child. In Isaiah 7, he says that a child will be born to a virgin, and this child's name would be called Emmanuel, God with us. Matthew picks up on that promise of a child born to a virgin in his understanding of Jesus' birth in Matthew 1. And he quotes this passage as a way of giving reference back to Jesus. So in Isaiah, he's anticipating the birth of a child. He's anticipating the birth of one to come. He's anticipating this birth of this child who will be the wonderful counselor. Mighty God and the Prince of Peace. This child who will rule the nations, rule with authority and rule with justice and righteousness. Isaiah is placing his hopes on a child to come. Not any child, but a child that would come out of David's line. Royal David's line, this mighty king who had a heart aligned with God perfectly, who may not have been perfect in actions, but had a heart that was designed for God. This king who had a promise that his line would always have a king to it. Isaiah is looking forward to someone coming from that line who would uphold righteousness and justice. In written in a time of threats of war and violence, Isaiah is looking for a second David who would come to fight their political and cultural battles. He's looking for someone like David who's going to come and unify the, unify the kingdom and bring the Israel back to prominence and power. He's looking for that David to come back and to reestablish the kingdom with wise counsel, with wonderful words of wisdom to lead with wisdom and truth. Looking for that king who will bring shalom of God's peace into existence to where everyone is unified and brought together. Looking for that king who has a heart unified with God. 
who will speak righteousness and justice. Isaiah isn't necessarily pointing to a king who would be born in a manger some 700 years later. He's thinking about a king that would come in the immediacy of the moment and help them through their political conquests. But in reality, the promise that Isaiah puts forth of a Messiah king of a Christ can only be fulfilled through Christ our Lord. It's only Jesus who can fulfill these promises of a mighty God, of a wonderful counselor, of a prince of peace. It is only Christ who can fulfill the promises of a king who leads with justice and righteousness. For Isaiah is painting the picture of the Christ child, of the Lord of lords and the king of kings and the prince of peace. And the image we see of Christ realized and and centered in our hearts and revealed to us through Scripture is a king who is that wonderful counselor. The preexistent word of God who was incarnate into the world, who was born into the world to be the living representation of God manifest in humanity. For Christ is the word of God, the one who speaks wisdom and truth and is the truth in the word of God. So when Christ came into this world, he came to speak God's truth of what it means to follow God, what it means to give our lives and heart to God. And came as well as the, as the Prince of Peace, he didn't come as a, as a rambling warrior who came in and just clotheslined everyone and, and get, got things done by swords and violence. He spoke with his words that challenged authorities. He challenged leadership by his presence of welcoming. And he brought hope by his very life of peace, of shalom that seeks unity and grace with all. And Christ is the exemplar of what true peace looks like, of being truly connected to God. Because Christ is our mighty God, our mighty King, who is God. And shows us who God is. And everything Jesus does is through justice and righteousness. The justice of truth, the righteousness of truth, connected together into truth and holy living. Christ is the only one who could fulfill the promises of Isaiah. And he fulfilled the expectations of a mighty Lord. And perhaps the people missed it because they were expecting that David to come. 
expecting a political warrior, expecting someone that would affirm their values, someone that would come in and do things the way they always thought it should be done. And maybe we too miss that as well. You see, Jesus comes as Lord, he comes as King, and he comes to be the Lord of everything because of who he is. And I think if we were honest with ourselves, we probably would admit that we only let Jesus to be Lord of a few things. Even though we put those bumper stickers on the back of our cars that says, Jesus is our, my king or Jesus is my Lord as a way to say, I'm better than you. Because let's be honest, half the time we put those bumper stickers on our car to separate ourselves from one another. We don't usually do it as a way to say, Jesus is truly my Lord. We do it as a way to say, I'm better than you. But how often do we truly allow Jesus to be our Lord and our King in the ways that Jesus comes to be our Lord and our King? Because on this Christ the King Sunday, we are reminded that Jesus isn't the Lord of those things that, where Jesus just affirms who we are. Jesus isn't just the Lord of those places where our expectations are met. He's the Lord of all things and has the government, the dominion of all upon his shoulders. And as such calls us to fall under his complete lordship and guidance. So that in everything we do, is guided by our love of God and Jesus' wonderful counsel, his peace, his mighty nature, his justice and his righteousness. To allow Jesus to be truly Lord in our hearts and our lives means that we allow Jesus to guide our families, to shape how we care for one another and our families, so that when we come around the table at Thanksgiving, it's not about fights or who didn't get the last piece of turkey, but it's about how do we love one another as Christ has loved us. Saying Jesus is Lord is also a reflection of how we take care of each other in our community of faith. To say, because Jesus loves me, I'm going to love each other. And I'm going to do my part to help out and help each other out. Not to expect one or two people to do it all and I'm just going to sit back and criticize every five minutes if I don't get my way. Let's say the way we take care of each other is important. And how we pick up the phone and call each other must be shaped by our love of Christ. But even how we live in this world has to be shaped by Christ. It can't be shaped by whether or not we have an R or a D after our name or how we, what TV stations we watch to get our news from. how we respond to our community, how we live at Walmart or how we live at Target or Kroger, especially Kroger yesterday. 
But how we interact in our community has to be a reflection of our lordship in Christ, being guided by his lordship. We don't have a Sunday-only faith that allows us Monday through Saturday to live as we want. We respond in our community, live as a witness of Christ so that everything we do is in love of Christ and in response to Christ. So how we care for that person that is in front of us, how we care for the opioid crisis and those who are addicted and how that crisis is getting forgotten as we are struggling with this pandemic. Of how we care for those who have no jobs or those who are struggling to find benefits or how we care for people that feel like the system lets them down or how we care for people that feel like the church has let them down. Everything we do must be for Christ. Not a little bit. Not just the parts that make us feel better. But everything we do must be for Christ and follow under his guidance. If we claim to say, Jesus is my Lord, if we claim on this day, as I hope we do as we worship, that Jesus is my king. And he has to be that wonderful counselor, that mighty God, the prince of peace, the exemplar of justice and righteousness in all aspects of our lives. And so it's why we celebrate this day. Remind us that Christ is our wonderful counselor who provides wisdom. That mighty God who is the witness of God and is God. And that prince of peace and justice and righteousness. We remember that. So we can live it out as faithful members of God's kingdom who say, Jesus is my Lord, and truly live it out. Will you pray with me? Most holy and gracious God, Father, Lord, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for your lordship and your words amongst us. Lord, help us to be faithful to you and to, allow, to be led by you in everything that we do because we give you all honor and glory. It's in Christ we pray. Amen.